Huge day of college football tomorrow, high school football tonight, and then Baylor and Gonzaga getting it on uh, this evening on Peacock. And Michael Granberry joining us now, uh, my longtime great friend from my Dallas Morning News days. And Michael still with the Dallas Morning News. And now, Michael, I thought I, it's so it was funny. I was reading something about you, and it said his his first book. I mean, the the all these different things you've done. I guess you were just so busy writing all these newspaper stories. It's hard for me to believe that you haven't written like ten books already. But uh, congratulations, this um, uh, your new book, which I'll give the title and let people know how to get it. Uh, but it, it 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 is released just in the next few days. I believe I was uh, December six. So uh, congratulations and, and welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Matt. And as you know, you are in the book. There's a great story about Matt Mosley that Matt Mosley told me that is in the book. So for anybody who gets it, look in the index, find out where you can read the Matt Mosley story, and you will love it. It's one of the best ones in the book. Wow. All right. Uh, and, and I think <laughs> and you, you even mentioned. You know what it yeah. is. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm trying to uh, remember what did you. I think you sent me a note that said even what page it's on. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think one, maybe 154 for people. I'm, sh- I'm oh, sure. I'm sure folks will be running out to buy it, you know, uh, in part because they want to see what did Mosley say in this book. But. Uh, well, you and I have had uh, a lot of fun over the years talking about the Cowboys. You have known a lot of the great former Cowboys over the years. I've gotten to know some of them. The book is called Hole in the Roof, The Dallas Cowboys, Clint Murkison Jr., and the Stadium That Changed American Sports Forever. And um, that, and, and it, you, are, uh, you wrote this with Burke Murkison. And uh, who is one of the sons of, of Clint Murkison Jr. And I, I mean, all of this is fascinating to me, uh, Michael. I got to ask, when did when did you? I mean, you've known the Murkison family, I'm sure, for years. And you'll love the fact today, by the way. After a a uh, I was playing a set of tennis, and I looked over, and who was walking past but Robert Murkison? Right. And uh, he's he's become a good friend over the years. But the, the Murkison family, what a fascinating group it is. You know, people uh, have read about Clint Murkison Jr., his father, Clint Murkison Sr. You've been fascinated with the Cowboys since you were a kid. Uh, oh, and yeah. were you a... Were you a fan of the of the Dallas Texans first, or were you yeah. a fan of the yeah. Cowboys first? How did how, where did your well, fandom I'm, begin? You know, I'm an old guy at this point. I just turned um, 71 years old a couple of days ago on the 29th, and uh, I'll tell you my history, Matt, which is with the Cowboys, which is kind of directly it's interwoven into the history of the Cotton Bowl. The first football game I ever went to. With my dad, we lived in Pleasant Grove, the Pleasant Grove section of Dallas, and we would go down Sign Road to get to the Cotton Bowl. First one we ever saw was 1959. My dad was a former Navy guy, so he wanted to go see Navy play SMU in the Cotton Bowl. First football game I've ever been to. And I, I guess I was, let's see, 59. I would have been in the second grade that year, second grade. So it was 
pouring rain. And, and you may remember this, Matt. People who know about going to games at the Cotton Bowl still, I guess, uh, the wet, you're at the mercy of the elements, right? You could have rain. You could have cold. Yeah. You could have searing heat. So it's pouring rain, but we watch um, SMU with quarterback by Dandy Don Meredith playing against Navy. And SMU won the game. And, I mean, I was just – I was just – you know, I was smitten after that. I loved football. I just could not get enough of football. And, of course, that was a period when I think the first big game on television in the National Football League was, I believe, the 1958 championship game in Yankee Stadium between the Baltimore Colts and the New York Giants. The, uh, the Colts won the game in what they used to call sudden death overtime or, or just sudden death they didn't have overtime yeah. back but it was a playoff game so they had to play after the end of the fourth quarter to determine who won the game and uh, i believe it was alan amici who scored the winning touchdown for the baltimore colts who were quarterbacked by johnny unitas but that event really had uh, the effect of getting the whole nation focused on the National Football League for the first time. In fact, some people call that the greatest game ever played, not the Ice Bowl. They call the 58 game in Yankee Stadium that. And uh, so, you know, I see this game in the Cotton Bowl in 59. And then one year later, my third grade year, the beginning of my third grade year, overnight in Dallas, we go from having zero professional football teams to having two. We have this brand-new expansion team, the Cowboys, and then we have the Dallas Texans, and both teams are owned by the sons of Texas oil giants. As you'll see in my book, there were basically four men who were considered the pillars of big oil in Texas. They were Clint Murkison Sr., whose son, Clint Jr., owned the, founded the Cowboys. Uh, then you had H.L. Hunt, whose son, Lamar Hunt, founded the Dallas Texans and the American Football League, right? And then they moved, of course, after the 62 season and became the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, and then you, you had a couple of other guys, Hugh Roy Cullen and Sid Richardson. But these were, you know, oil was a big thing back then. And uh, so it, it was not unusual that you would have uh, NFL owners who uh, were connected to the oil business. As they said, yeah, you know, you know. But, but, but there's one weird thing about um, uh, about uh, about this. At a couple of public appearances we've made, Matt, there are actually not two but three current National Football League teams that once made their home in Dallas. This is in our book. Do you know who the third one is? No, Texas Cowboys. No, who who is it? Well, that's when the Clint Murkison Jr. story began. In 1952, a team called the Dallas Texans played one season in the Cotton Bowl. It was a disaster. Hundreds of people came to see them play, right? And <laughs> they, they were terrible on the field. They were even worse off the field. They ended the season in bankruptcy. And so Clint saw an opportunity. And he went to the NFL commissioner and said, I really want to buy this team. Dallas is my town. Well, we already have a buyer. And the buyer turned out to be Carol Rosenblum, who purchased the fragments of what was left of this franchise, moved it to Baltimore, and named it the Colts. 
the Baltimore Colts, who are now the Indianapolis Colts, started out in 1952 in the Cotton Bowl in Dallas. And you say when they started, they were called the Texans? The Dallas Texans. They were there for one season. And if if anybody else wants to read more about them, you can um, – Texas uh-huh. Monthly did a great article about it once. Um, yeah, yeah, they were here for, That's for one season. And it just didn't yeah. work because, you know, people were so wired into college football back then. Well, and talking to Michael Granberry, who's written this new book with the son of uh, Clint Murkison Jr., Burke Murkison, uh, Hole in the Roof, the Dallas Cowboys, Clint Murkison Jr., and the stadium that changed American – sports forever uh i I find it fascinating that city leaders have always blocked dallas from having down you know the actual dallas cowboys being in dallas even up to laura miller we always know you know it ends up in arlington and then back then it was uh and you talk about them in that i think it was one of the maybe the opening chapter of the book that they mm-hmm. that 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 maybe Clint uh, Merckx Jr. wanted to build that stadium in downtown, and they blocked it. That Texas stadium ends up going in Irving, and mm-hmm. it, it just I guess the thought was they just thought it was way too much on the taxpayers and all. But as you detail in the book, what Merckson Jr. did with that stadium, a Texas stadium, not only was it iconic, but he had a vision for how to make money off of the stadium and how that would be that would be a big deal and in in some ways some of his blueprint is still out there for owners today what right. okay. take us back a little bit to how it how it ended up you know where texas stadium ended up because i know uh he would have loved to have built that in downtown but i think right. there were some things you know obviously he didn't want to do it at where the cotton bowl is because even at the time they didn't think that much of the cotton bowl did they no, he really wanted – his passion was to have the stadium in downtown Dallas. And it wasn't – I don't believe in his case. I really don't believe that it was such an anti-Cotton Bowl thing. Keep in mind, though, when he first started going public with his desire to have a new stadium, it was 1966, which coincidentally happened to be their first winning season. I think he probably felt he didn't really have – any political capital or credibility or power to get a new stadium the first several seasons because they were a losing team, right? And they didn't draw. And But then in 66, wow, was it different. I mean, they ended up in the National Football League championship game against the Packers. The winner got to go to the first Super Bowl against the old Dallas Texans. That would have been really sweet if it could have been the Cowboys. I was at that game January 1st, 1967. They played this incredible game in the Cotton Bowl against the against uh, the Green Bay Packers, a real nail-biter. The Packers won. But that was his first season, when, and he really went hard in 66 in trying to lobby them to get a new stadium in downtown Dallas. And he just felt that downtown was where it was at. That's where stadiums belonged in big cities. And one of the interesting things we found in doing the book, Matt, is that the most successful stadiums in America are the downtown stadiums. You look at that baseball park in San Diego that transformed uh, a previously blighted area of San Diego. Minneapolis is such a delight to visit because you have all the art, you have the art museum downtown, you have the great Guthrie Theater, and then you have 
the the NBA NHL arena. You have a new baseball stadium. You have a new football stadium. You have the arts and sports all right downtown. And Denver is very similar to that. Those that blueprint has worked very well, but they had no interest. And they they part of the problem at the time was that the mayor of Dallas in 1966 was a guy named J. Eric Johnson. He had been one of the the real titans of uh, Texas instruments and uh, brilliant man. And, and people today will say that he is the best mayor that Dallas has ever had. And it's really amazing what he accomplished. Uh, DFW airport, uh, the new central library, the IMP design city hall, the community college um, system. Um, and, and he did a lot of this, in response to the Kennedy assassination, which had happened in 1963. But that also, we have a whole chapter in the book on the assassination. And by the way, some of the best source material in that chapter comes from one Matt Mosley, who did, (laughs) I've written written a ton of stories about the assassination in sports, but wow, you did a great job with a story that you wrote a few years ago. It was fantastic. So I think you're in the footnotes as well. Um, but anyway, Clint <laughs> felt that the city needed to have this downtown stadium with this incredible new team that he had, and that that would help emotionally transform Dallas or help Dallas recover uh, more than any other thing. As it was, the Dallas Cowboys did help Dallas recover from the stigma of the assassination, but they did so in Irving, which was about in a stadium that was about a mile away from the Dallas city limits sign. But one of the things he did that kind of blows me away is, I don't know if you know this or not, but he never took a penny, not one penny from taxpayers. The stadium in Irving was financed 100% through uh, construction bonds. Like if, uh, if you and I uh, had been, you know, grownups at that time, and we wanted to, you know, build, we wanted to get season tickets to the Cowboys, you couldn't just automatically get season tickets. You had to buy a stadium construction bond. I think it was a 1,000 per seat between the 30-yard lines and then 250 a seat outside the 30. And that's how they financed the stadium. And as we explained in the book, he ended up, I think it was $15 million short and he literally got out his checkbook and wrote a check to, to come up with the rest of it, right? But that's wow. what they did. And those construction bonds, but this is when we get into something else about the book, Matt. I think the term hole in the roof actually has a double meaning. Uh, Clint really did create the prototype of the modern stadium, you know, AT&T Stadium, SoFi Stadium. But as my co-author, his son says, He thinks his dad would be horrified by some of the greed and excesses that have created these stadiums that have kind of followed in the wake of Texas Stadium. And, uh, you know, like like the stadium construction bond concept, which was pretty innocent in and of itself, led to this new thing they have called the personal seat license, which are these outrageously expensive uh, things you know that that gets you an entree into a modern stadium, right? And uh, plus, I mean, Matt, as you know, we have high school stadiums in Texas with luxury suites now, right? And it's just 
crazy. Okay, a perfect example. As a journalist, it drives me crazy when I see taxpayers being exploited. The new stadium in Buffalo, New York, $1.5 billion, outdoor stadium, no dome, right, in Buffalo, New York. And I believe the cost is it's close to 100 percent for taxpayers, right? Taxpayers are going to foot the bill almost entirely. And, you know, I just I just have problems with that. And uh, uh, he did create the prototype, though. He kind of he saw that he felt that stadiums, he felt that salaries were going to really kick into high gear, which they did. He felt the television contract would pop out, which it did, and that owners were going to have to come up with uh, another source of revenue, a big revenue stream that would kind of transcend all of that. And and that's what turned out to be the stadium. Well, it's it's all fascinating. And uh, their father, um, you know, the r- senior Murkison, uh, you know, he – that was a whole – I mean, all of it is just Clinton Murkison Sr. and, and those uh, oil magnets that you mentioned, uh, they, they were living a different in, – in fact, Jerry Jones, I would say, is more tied to, like, that crew. Like, when you talk about old school and, and, and what Jerry – he is sort of a, uh, a throwback in the sense and kind of how he lives his life – and and while Mercus Jr. though all of it's all, I mean again we'll have to save this for another time but the fact that he went to, went to MIT uh, was just brilliant brilliant guy and I think you talk about like his brother completely different thing here's Clint oh, Mercus yeah. uh, Jr. who decides hey I I'm gonna I'm gonna own a team I'm gonna do all this other stuff maybe he was a little bit more like his dad in the sense that uh, w- you know more of a risk taker. And I think it was his brother, I believe his name was John, who right. was just like extremely quiet. Um, yeah. You never heard anything about him. And yet, didn't he own like, you know, part of a, a, a major portion of the team? Except, and literally, you never hey, knew Matt, anything about the guy. Matt, this this is one of the things that blew me away. Burke, and, Burke approached me in 2011. That's when we started working on this thing. And when he first told me that his uncle John was a 50-50 owner with his dad, Clint Jr., I said, what? I mean, Clint, as you know, was considered extremely low profile. The faces that were front were Tex Schramm and Tom Landry, who Clint Jr. had hired to run the team. And he gave them full autonomy, full control. The only thing he ever really got deeply involved in was the stadium. That he saved for himself. But what I couldn't believe, I mean, he, you know, Clint Jr. is low profile, but my God, John was like, you you know, you had no idea he was even there. And he was a 50-50 partner. It wasn't 60-40, it was 50-50. And actually, there's an interesting thing we get into in the book, which is Clint Jr., may have made a mistake, in my opinion, in not letting John lobby the city for a new downtown stadium. They loved John. He was on all the boards. He was he had a totally different personality, one that fit in much better with theirs. And who knows? He might have been able, yeah. if that had been his task, he might have been able to pull it off. But yeah, it, and- I couldn't believe he was a 50-50 owner. 
Yeah. Well, listen, this is going to be uh, exciting. I know there's some events coming up. I was just looking at one at uh, at one of the Jewish organizations in Dallas. Uh, is that over at the JCC? Where uh, that that's coming yeah, up one, on one thing December twelfth. One thing I wanted to tell your listeners about Matt is this Sunday, uh, our book, uh, uh, an excerpt of our book, is the cover story in the Arts and Life section of the Dallas Morning News, the, the section that I write for, and we have a great shot on the cover, and uh, we have a two-page spread inside, and at the end of that article, there uh, it gives you the details on okay. three different. Findings. Thursday, December 8th at the Hall of State in Fair Park. Um, Monday, the 12th, we'll be at the Jewish Community Center of Dallas. And then on Tuesday, the 13th, we'll be at the City of Irving Archives and Museum. So we have three right. different findings in three different parts of town. But please, I really want you and the listeners to check out the Arts and Life section of the Dallas Morning News on Sunday. It's a great layout, a great spread, and they were they were so okay. good to us. I appreciate it so much, well, and it's great. The the uh, the book is Hole in the Roof: The Dallas Cowboys, Clint Murkison Jr. and the Stadium That Changed American Sports Forever. Michael, proud of you. Your wife's only written like twenty one books, but now uh, <laughs> uh, Nancy well, Chernin, the famous. Uh, uh, children's author and, and love Nancy and your whole family. Uh, but uh, thanks for doing this today. And, and folks, if they want to sign up and, and maybe get ahead of the action here, this uh, they can do it via Amazon. I would imagine this is going to be at a lot of different bookstores and that kind of thing. Oh, but yeah, the one is, the is, bookstore that I would recommend that's done great for us is in Terabang Books in Dallas on West Lover's Lane. Okay. Uh, they are going to be handling the sale at the Hall of State, but they will have the book. So if you go to Interabang Books on Lover's Lane, you can get it. And uh, But, Matt, I, I want to say, you know, at the end here, I want to say thank you so much. Uh, you know, your friendship means so much to me, and I think the world of you, and I really appreciate this. And, uh, you know, I not only – appreciate you so much but i just get a kick out of listening to you i think you're you, know, you need to go into stand-up comedy when you get done with this <laughs> well thank you for those kind words and we're yeah, very excited about your book thank you michael we'll, uh, we'll talk to you soon okay i can't wait to see you i'd love to see you sometime soon it's been a while so you bet let's do it there he goes michael granberry from the dallas morning news has his brand-new book out about Clint Murkison Jr., the Dallas Cowboys. Let's visit with Tom Barfield 